Blog Talk Radio. Her name is Marilyn 
Rosenbrock Nyberg. She is a sacred activist. She's the author of A Woman's Guide to Sacred Activism and the co-founder of Gather the Women and Global Matrix, uh, which gives listeners the ABCs of sacred activism, uh, our topic today. Uh, you know, you're going to learn what it is. Uh, is it religious? Uh, you know, why it's a thing for women, do you have to be an extrovert to participate, um, maybe how to transform or incorporate your anger uh, into sacred activism, how to change people's minds, and why this is a different approach uh, to activism than the way men do it. So uh, I think some important stuff, especially in light of what's going uh, going on out there in the world. And uh, I hope you'll stay with me through the end of the show uh, because toward the, uh, I guess maybe about quarter two, you know, 45, 50 minutes in, I'm going to share a piece with you. About it, and it's called uh, Crazy Ideas That Stuck. And it's an excerpt from my book, Normalizing Abuse. And... um, You know, we have lots of crazy ideas sticking around out there today, and we no doubt wonder how they ever got, uh, you know, how they get traction, how they keep getting traction, and we can't wait for them to, you know, go to that place where bad ideas eventually go to die. But uh, I thought it might be interesting to name some of the things from the past, uh, ideas that stuck that had uh, immense effect on society, culture, and history. Really interesting stuff. Uh, Definitely not dry by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Remember, I told you we talked about depth and power. So uh, I'll, you know, I'll just dangle that little carrot out there that uh, some of those ideas, um, you know, are related to those things. But uh, let me go ahead and uh, welcome my guest to the show, uh, Marilyn. Welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine, and thank you for your patience waiting for us to begin. <laughs> well, thank you for the privilege of being here. So I've been looking forward to it, and I love the questions you put out. And so uh, when you're ready, I'm. <laughs> Okay. So, Marilyn, um, <clears throat> Do you find that uh, you have to keep explaining uh, what sacred activism is? Um, you know, do people get it? And, um, you know, and, and, and I guess as a two-pronged part of that, uh, will you tell us what sacred activism is for listeners who might be hearing about this for the first time? And in answer to your question, yes and no. <laughs> Uh, some people recognize the the, the, the content and the content, concept, and others don't know why it's any different than just the usual um, activism. I would say this. It isn't about act- sacred activism for me. It's not about what I do. It's about who I am, who I've become. And that is, um, it's sort of like the breath. Like you go into a woman's group, for example, a women's circle, which is so so encouraged, and you have your, 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 you're nourished, you take it in. And then you go out and you don't speak about it and you don't share what you've learned. And to me, it's the in-breath and the out-breath. This is the out-breath of become in consciousness. What you see needs to change. What you see needs to be nourished. And um, that's my concept, at least. Now, uh, I'm 
That was a great book written by uh, Andrew Harvey on the subject, and he has his own explanation of it. Do you want me to read that one? Sure. Let's, you know, get it for contrast or context. <clears throat> yes, we'll do. Okay, here it is. A spirituality that is own and self-absorbed, one devoid of an authentic political and social consciousness, does little to halt the suicidal juggernaut of history. On the other hand, an activation that is not purified by profound spiritual and psychological self-awareness and rooted in divine truth, wisdom, and compassion will only perpetuate the problem it's trying to solve, however righteous its intention. When, however, the deepest and most grounded spiritual vision is married a practical and pragmatic drive to transform all existing political, economic, social institutions, a whole force, the power of wisdom and love in action is born. That's how he defines it. I think I said it, I just got goosebumps. I think I said it a little differently, but I think we're on the same page, Andrew and I. (laughs) Okay. And is there a particular um, spirituality or, um, uh, you know, ideals or values that inform your sacred activism? You know, I don't think that religious religion is the end all for for good values. And I think we are all born with an instinct towards the betterment. That's my sense. And then, of course, we get conditioned. But I think that we all know what's right and what's not right. And um, and we have to make a, a difference between um, ideology, whether it's religious or or political, and what's true in the world. And um, so that that would be my, my response, yeah. Okay. So be, now you think, um, well, we'll take, for instance, uh, the Me Too movement. Um, would you mm-hmm. have, list, you know, would you have considered that sacred activism or like the abortion rights movement going on right now? Hmm. That's a really good question. I think it depends entirely on the person. One of the things I think we have a problem with is we think it's okay to be really angry and rageful, to let people know how strongly we feel about a subject. And I don't really support that. I think we turn off the other side. I think there's some sense that if we argue our point, we're going to win. We won't. But I do think that there's uh, coming from what you believe, coming from compassion, and love, you can state clearly where you're coming from and the values you hold. And I think we'd find that they're all either the same or very, very similar. <clears throat> so does that mean, and, you know, and I'm trying to just get a picture of what it looks like, um, how, would, this, would the, um, the Me Too marches or the Black Lives Matters marches, would they have looked different um, it, uh, I, I mean, do you think they expressed anger? Should they have looked different? No, actually, I think most of them were pretty peaceful and very uh, much a, a compassion and standing for what was right. That's my feeling. I would have marched with them comfortably. I, and, of course, in every situation, there's someone who wants to make it um, harder or meaner or 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 nastier, whatever, and they're, they're always there on the side. And, of course, that's not where I would march either. Um, I did feel like the Me Too movement and in their marches, unfortunately, 
not have a follow-up. I wish they had, and I hope we see more of them with uh, conditions attached. In other words, when you go home from this march, there are things we need to do to say, to write, to stand for. Yeah, yeah. It was like it was a um, a lot of venting, which we needed. Yes. Um And yes. and and you know, we don't know how many people that got up off the couch, and maybe now they're more awake. Uh, but there was not yes. enough follow through. Yeah. No. So and, um, and the other thing. You... No. Go ahead, please. The other thing I would say is that I think that it's important that we handle our anger. We handle our rage. It's in us. We're being triggered. And if you want to make a change, I think you can't go out and blast everybody with how angry you are. I think that just uh, sets more division up uh, between us and those that we don't agree with. I think it's important also to learn to build relationship with those you don't agree with so that you can have a dialogue, that you can Listen, and they can listen. I think that's an important yeah. piece of sacred activism, at least. <clears throat> so what do you do with the people who are just um, in their bubble and just can't listen? Um, you know, do you just mm-hmm. move on and talk to somebody else? Or, I mean, uh, any ideas on breaking through the bubble? The only thing I would suggest is, and I think we forget this, I like to ask questions of people in the bubble. I like to ask them about their bubble. Where's their, what source, what's sourcing it? What do they believe? How do they get there? And have that kind of conversation. I think it, it's more helpful than an argument like, you know, you're really stupid to think that way. I think it's much more helpful to say, why? Why have you come to that conclusion? And, and I think it begins to open a little more, a few more doors at least, and not with everybody. I mean, some, you know, I think we have to recognize that there are some things you, that no, nothing you can do is going to change somebody's mind if they're set in uh, a particular um, system. And uh, and we all know people like that. And, yes, you do move on from those, and you just, frankly, you just love them and keep going. Yeah. Well, and, I, you know, and, and if this question doesn't fit into this discussion, just say, no, I don't want to answer this. But, you know, I've often felt like um, – Politically, the two sides come at issues so differently. You know, I felt like mm-hmm. the right, the Republicans, um, I mean, I'll just say it, you know, um, they steamrolled, you know, they play dirty, they're like in the trenches, disinformation, all of that. And I've always felt like the Democrats bring a knife to a gunfight. And, um, <laughs> and, and, you know, I don't know. Um, it uh, or is what you're calling for or suggesting is do you think it's passive like i I feel just my opinion you know sometimes the Democrats yeah. are just feel way too passive to me yeah no I actually agree with everything you've just said, and i i you know I think what what I'm talking about is really an indivisible individual that we must take. And I just don't think the angry part and the hitting hitting people over the head with it does anything more than keep us separated and divided. So I I do think there's a way. I think there's some people that you're never going to reach. 
Um, and and I would really agree with you. I think the Republicans have taken um, – well, the other thing, let me say this. In my mind's eye, I have a very good Republican friend, and she's very much a Republican. I have friends who say, well, I have a friend like that, too. We just don't go there. Well, we go there. And what I recognize is that the information she's getting and the information I listen to are so entirely different. Uh, Her facts are not my facts. My facts are not her facts. And there you are. I mean, that's where questions come up. And and we both have said we've learned a lot from one another because we ask the hard questions. And um, and that's been very helpful in the end. We have a relationship as a result. But um, yeah, no, I, I I I totally agree with the premise that you were offered here. Um, but I just I I would just say that what can I say? I think relationships are very very critical to making changes. And when you can have a relationship, uh, it used to be in in Congress. You might remember those guys screaming, yelling at each other during the day, and then they go out and play pinochle at night. They'd have dinner together at night. We don't do that anymore. We don't socialize with people we don't agree with. That's got to change in my mind's eye. Um, we recently had um, the Democratic Women's Club here, and I, I honor them for this, had a uh, panel of uh, conservatives and liberals and independents and asked them questions about uh, conditions here in our county. And it was actually so good and I and people were asked do not do not start shouting at each other do not start yelling and it was um, incredibly civilized and actually very inspiring because it was like oh this is possible this is possible we can actually have a conversation and that's what I would love to see more well I know when you know Roy and I were isolated up on the mountain and we were surrounded by you know, shall I just say, people who didn't see the world as we saw the world. Um, But I was desperate for human contact. You know, I went out there and uh, joined the Quilters Club and, you know, joined groups just to have other women to talk to. And, you know, I found if I... Um, didn't talk about politics because they they all stayed away from it. And I knew a lot of them were probably Republicans, you know, um, Uh that if, you know, we went out and, you know, uh, maybe it was, uh, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it, the the red hat ladies, or we went and decorated Christmas trees together, or we made crafts together. Um, You know, we just talked about things that weren't politics and we got to know one another on a different level. Um, so yeah. then, you know, when politics crept up, there was some basis for, you know, maybe okay. starting to broach the subject. I mean, a couple of them even said, gee, you're an author. What are your books about? And one even said, well, can I borrow one of your books to read? And, wow. Wow. you know, I, I guess it, it starts like that. You know, it, it has to start yeah. small. Right. Yeah. And it, um, it starts out as relationships. Yeah. Well, in some of those women, um, I liked those women when I got to know them. Um, not you know, not around the subject of politics, you know. Um, so I mean, uh, it, it 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 and I and I think we we forget that. Um, um, and you know, and I and I think about Fox News. I don't know whether this um, 
this it happens everywhere, and I'd love to hear from my listeners if they want to email me and tell me, and you know, and I'll report back. But um, yeah. I have noticed that if you have cable TV, which we all need to have today, as far as I know, you know, unless you're just going to strictly go get your news off, you know, Facebook or YouTube or something. Yeah. If you're still listening to the news from some streaming service, you get Fox free. But I know when I was living up on the mountain, I had to pay extra to get MSNBC. And I, I think that's by design. And so if, if, you know, if you don't want to put out extra money, um, you may never hear the other side of things. You will only hear yeah. that Fox News set of facts. Exactly. Exactly. No, I, I totally I totally understand that. And here's the irony of it all. Here we are all sitting here, and we know that we're not getting all the truth from either side. We know that things are being made up to manipulate the population. Um, and and we, we're not at the table. <laughs> we don't really have a say but one vote once in a, once in a while. Um, and we have so little control uh, at one level, and yet we, we we take the take on what somebody said on air on Fox News as uh, gospel, and that's how it is. I, I question how it is a lot, and I think that's an important thing to do as well, and not not get um, roped into a position that you have not examined carefully. And, and, and where you examine it is another question because, as we know, we have so many that, in my mind's eye, are exposing a lot of truth that we don't want to be hearing or at least the, the government doesn't want us to hear. So anyways, we get into another whole thing there. That's why I come back to relationship, relationship, relationship. And so um, you, you, I, you, I think, uh, believe that women do this sacred activism different from men. Um, you've maybe touched on it a little bit, but do you want to elaborate? Yes, I do. I do. I, gosh, that gets, that, that's a whole conversation, <laughs> a whole hour at least. But, I mean, there are women who vote the way their husbands do. And think the way their husbands do because their husbands tell them that's how it is. And there are women who um, are more in touch with their own um, sovereignty, shall we say, or their, their own values, and they stand up for them. And for so many centuries, we have been crushed for doing so. Um, and we can go into the whole thing, including the burning times where we learned very quickly that we couldn't speak up. And so some of that still holds us, a lot of that holds us back. But I think that for the most part, at the heart of hearts in women, women they're nurturing. Their first, uh, their first um, response is not necessarily kill, <laughs> go to war. It is more like mediation. Let's resolve. Let's talk it through. We're talkers. And um, so that, that's, that's how I think we're very, very different. Okay, we're, we're not uh, quick to pick up the gun. And, uh, you know, no. it, and any, no. I mean, do you think that's a primal thing? Um, because, yes. it, I mean, it, it, does it go back to the idea that we're the life givers? I mean, is, is that 
really at the heart of it? Well, I think we have to go back in history, which I'm not really good at, but I would say that uh, in the beginning, I think there's a great book on it, that God was a woman. And we didn't have a lot of wars and a lot of things like that. And then suddenly we had male domination, which has never really, really changed significantly. And in one way, men are here to, I think, one of their their responsibilities is uh, taking care of uh, women, taking care of the planet and doing what is necessary to keep us safe. But it's gone over, I mean, I don't have to say it's gone overboard when you see children being slaughtered in their school desk, at the school desks. It's, um, you know, and guns being, uh, everyone's being armed. And that's just another another thing. And um, so, yeah, I think there's a big difference. I don't, mass murders, I don't think too often are by women. And going to war is not necessarily women's votes. And so, you know, I think there is a, um, there is that side of, of uh, passion, nurturing, uh, mother bear in women that wants to take care of more than get rid of. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's, that's Well, you remember a while back, uh, I think the Dalai Lama said it would be, uh, yes. and, 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 you know, and if I have this wrong, you know, correct me, I, that's fine. Um, I think the Dalai Lama said it would be Western women that would save the world. And I may exactly. have misunderstood that to mean because Western women have access, they have more money. Yes. Um, do you think that's what he meant? I, I think the fact that we are women here are at least beginning or have become much more powerful, um, much more uh, willing to take charge. I mean, it, it, to me, it's insignificantly uh, so, but it is happening. We are standing up. We are more at the table than we have been. And I think you're absolutely your understanding of what he said is perfect. It's my understanding as well that, that he's saying, you know, we and, and we also have influence over the men in our lives and we can use that to bring about peace and that's what we really need to be doing yeah well you know there's so much that could be unpacked here you you know uh marilyn i think about you know uh rian eisler in her partnership classes talk about the studies we know about the bonobos uh, you know, um, you know yeah. there are species of of monkey or chimp, or um, and uh, they actually use sex to quell aggression that may rise up in you know amongst the ranks of their. Uh, you know, the males may be fighting or, you know, whatever, you know, arguments come up amongst them. And um, and sometimes I think, you know, our, our um, you know, our religious taboos that still probably haunt our psyches, um, yeah. you know, I, I think if we had never, you know, if, if, if we hadn't had those religious taboos, if, if um, you know, if, if it wasn't... Um, uh, a bad thing, you know, to express ourselves sexually, uh, to even give ourselves pleasure. There might not be so much aggression in the world. You know, I think about that a lot, actually, after learning about the bonobos. Well said. And I can't remember the name of the myth, but the one where the women just decided they weren't going to sleep with their men until they stopped. <laughs> and, yeah, and the men yeah. Stopped. Now, what 
what would, I mean, even that would be possible. Of course, you get a lot of abused women, but nonetheless, uh, if, if women simply said, until this changes, that's how it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but then, you know, um, and, you know, going back to what the Dalai Lama said about it would be Western women to save the world, you know, I actually have my own twist on that. I I, uh, actu- I I actually have said, I, I don't necessarily believe it's women. I believe it's sacred feminine liberation theology, you know, sacred feminine values, because you have so many women out there, Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, you have, um, uh, you know, who was the woman over in Britain that was, you know, like Reagan on steroids, you know, you had Phyllis Shafley, you know, all of these women that are pushing uh, for, uh, you know, women not to be able to have abortions and stuff. Um, you know, some, it's hard for me sometimes to get on the bandwagon and go rah, 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 yes, it's women. Uh, I guess because, you know, I've met some real nasty women in my life, and um, I yeah. can't imagine them uh, being a part of the solution. And I don't know, I, I wonder if you have any thoughts on that. I, in my... In, in my um observation they feel like they have bought into patriarchy and they're fighting for patriarchy and they want to be on the good side of and for men not for women or they're using a dogma to justify what they're doing as so many do and so i you know i i totally hear you and of course we know there are some incredibly open-hearted smart sensitive men that stand with us and and you know that's incredible i think most of the men i know are like that but here's what i also think about these wonderful men that i know they don't know the men who are doing the nasty stuff they don't hang out with them they don't go to the bars with them they don't um do those things and so they have little or no an influence on some of the men who just have to be machismo or whatever it is, and you know, and patriarchal at, at the, at, as their identity, so we we sort of, although they're willing to stand with us, um, I don't know that they know quite what to do in the world to make a big difference. Um, it's interesting because we started a group here in 2016 when the elections were going on, called uh, Indivisible Women. And we did not allow men into our monthly meetings. And I'll tell you, it's amazing how many men want to come to an all-woman's gathering. Uh, we would let them come when we were uh, entertaining, or, or not entertaining, but, but presenting some of the candidates. And then we had a mixed group come in. But it was very interesting that we were turning these guys away because they had no place else to go, kind of. And I, and I understand that. But I feel like they should be doing that for one another and then beginning to see how they can take on some of these incredibly um, vicious um, actions that are going on in the world right now. Yeah. Well, Marilyn, we're going to take a break. And um, when we come back, I want to talk to you about, um, you know, I want to talk to you a little bit about the burning times because I know that's a, a passion 
topic for you. Um, you know, if it plays into this sacred activism at all. And I also want to talk to you yeah. a little bit about feminism. Is um, You know, if you're a feminist, does that sort of automatically make you an activist? Um, and anyway, we'll, we'll get into all of that. But first, um, for listeners, I have a word from Joe Carson. This is from Jonathan Nightshade a Gardnerian high priest of the White Cross line, a traditional craft practitioner and researcher, writing about Joe Carson's book, Celebrate Wildness, Magic, Mirth, and Love on the Feriferia Path. I love this book, how special this work is and how appreciated. As someone who was young in the 1970s and through the years only found snippets of information on Feriferia, one of the first modern pagan paths, This book comes as an artistic revelation of the core practices of the way of the goddess and gods reborn for the next age of the Divine Maiden. She has clearly introduced the historical background, philosophy and ritual practices of the joyous wilderness mysteries of the fairy faith, illuminated by the marvelous pagan art of Feriferia's founder, Fred Adams. I was very pleased that the high-quality production of this oversized volume makes it a collectible work of art, as well as a testament to the visionary philosophy of Fred Adams. I feel blessed that I received a copy. I will treasure it and look forward to the next book for more of the deep philosophy and ritual practice of Feriferia. Celebrate Wildness is a dense, art book-quality, hardcover book. You can get it for just $45 from the Feriferia website, at feriferia.org. That's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. And I mentioned at the top of the show uh, about the Divine Feminine app, and uh, I just want to sort of punctuate that a little bit. Um, You know, it's been around since 2016, and I am ashamed to say I have only recently started to use it myself. And uh, I have to tell you, I am just sort of gobsmacked at – all of the different resources on the Divine Feminine app. Um, So many people out there, especially women, are out there doing sacred feminine stuff, Uh, whether it be, you know, retreats or uh, local events. Um, And uh, it it, it is a wonderful resource. Uh, It also has a new feature where newly added and local events are sent out every Tuesday, you know, if you're subscribed to it. And as a benefit to our listeners, uh, if you go to the Divine Feminine app, you can click on Upgrade Membership and scroll down uh, and use the code Sacred Feminine, and you get a 90-day access to enter your own featured event that uh, will be sent to local users. So uh, go check it out, the Divine Feminine app. I'm sorry I didn't... um, you know, learn about it sooner and begin using it sooner. It was only when I moved to Southern Oregon and I was, um, you know, in a strange new land and I was trying to find like-minded people, uh, I resorted to it. And, uh, wow, there is incredible stuff there happening all around the world. And, um, you know, sometimes I'll just spend an hour looking at what other people are doing uh, in the world, uh, you know, regarding the sacred feminine. So 
anyway, Divine Feminine app. Um, please go there. List, you know, look at it. I think um, I think you will be pleasantly surprised. And uh, also, um, I've mentioned before, my new book, uh, Normalizing Abuse, is out now. Um, I considered myself savvy and educated and an advocate for you know peace, fairness, equality, all of that stuff. Um, I actually thought abuse was something that happened to others, not me, but um, you know it was happening to me, and uh, I was in denial, and it really woke me up uh, when I took the blinders off. Um, I was shocked. Um, and you know the abuse and the resulting trauma can happen to anyone, regardless of age, race, gender, uh, beliefs, economic status. And I, I uh, am a believer now. We have to examine all aspects of our lives for both blatant and uh, insidious abuse because it affects our decisions. It affects how we see other people. It affects uh, our futures, really, if we don't take it out and look at it. So uh, besides hearing about my personal journey, the book covers um, you know, exploitation and abuse that we might just be normalizing in so many aspects of our life, academia, government, religion, the workplace especially, the feedback I got uh, from people responding to my call, uh, you know, the abuse that was happening to them in the workplace was just incredible. Um, also talk about abuse in society and culture, um, you know, the military. Um, you know, I really peel back the veneer hiding uh, rampant uh, insidious abuse and exploitation. So I hope you'll go to my website or go to Amazon and look for the book. Um, because I think it's really important that we uh, take a look at this and begin truth-telling because it's, it's really desperately needed. We can't keep um, saying this is just the way it is and um, allowing it to happen. Uh, and, you know, that sort of ties into what I'm going to share uh, after my interview with Marilyn, uh, crazy ideas that stuck. So uh, anyway, we'll get to that later. So I am, uh, my guest today uh, is uh, Marilyn Nyborg, and uh, we're talking about sacred activism. And uh, we, if you're just tuning in, please replay the beginning. Uh, lots of wisdom Marilyn has shared today. And, uh, but we're about to, you know, kind of, you know, uh, you know, take a turn here and talk a bit about feminism and maybe the burning times. And, you know, Marilyn, you know, uh, when I left the Bible Belt and, um, you know, uh, I, I will say now my dirty little secret is, you know, when I left the Bible Belt, I didn't know that uh, white supremacy and racism was a bad thing. You know, um, mm -hmm. you know, and but I say mm -hmm. it now because I think it's important that people realize with education, people can change, you know, even become, you know, um, feminists and advocates and stuff like that. Um, yes. You know, and, and but recently, you know, but but I come to Los Angeles and, you know, my bubble is totally burst and um, uh, and I learn about the burning times, but I'm amazed, you know, here in Southern Oregon, we have a, a new women's group that started and somebody said recently at the group, well, we all know about the burning times, right? And you know what? There were not heads bobbing up and down. People had not heard about the burning times. Right. So right. can you, you know, kind of give us a brief thumbnail on the burning times and, 
you know, how it's still affecting us today and does it tie into the sacred activism? Yeah, that's that yeah, you kind of summed it up. Um you're talking about abuse and how it, it affects our lives. Well, I think one of the things that we are finding now is that it isn't just recent abuse, but in fact we have inherited in abuse that there is ancestral wounding that has gone on for centuries. I mean, the Jews know it, the blacks know it, and other people and other distinctions, um, uh, you know, know. Uh, And it's it's almost passed down generation to generation what you should or shouldn't do, for example, from from what happened to them. So, in fact, uh, I had the same experience. I sat in a circle the other day, and someone mentioned my interest in learning times, and um, they, uh, several people said, well, what? what? What's the burning times? And then if they know anything, they know about Salem, where 100 women, I think, or less were, were, were put to death. And they don't realize centuries, centuries of abuse that have, been, have come down through the lineage of the European women in particular, although it has spread throughout the, the world, there's no question the intensity of three um, centuries. And what I, what I like to talk about is how those wounds impacted the 21st century woman, because we don't think about that. And in fact, it does. It is uh, the attitude, it has um, um, shaped and framed the way uh, the religious people talk about um, women. It has shaped the way in which men treat women over the centuries. It is in our culture today, and we see it constantly in the uh, rape and abuse of women. We see it constantly in women who are afraid to speak up about anything. They, they have been told to keep their mouth shut. And the other day I watched a very interesting um, summit on gen- gender and, uh, gender and um, I forget what it was. It was around gender. And a woman was speaking from Costa Rica, and she, and she was asked, just explain her experience as a woman there. And she said, you know, let's see, I, um, I guess I have to say I live in a lot of fear. I am very careful what I put on in the morning, even with a swelteringly hot day. A day. I uh, watch where, what streets I'm going to and where I walk down, who's behind me, who might be in the elevator with me. And I don't think most men, and even women, recognize the levels of fear that are cellular in us, to which we are cautious and careful. And yet, um, no one ever quite goes to there in terms of, well, you know, why do you not feel safe? Well, I can remember speaking many years ago here in the small town I live in, and we said, what's the biggest problem? He said, safety. So let me underscore that that's one of them. That, that, that's one of the big ones. And anyways, I think I've said a pretty good overview there. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's called ancestral trauma. So, you know, it's yeah. living in our DNA, and it is affecting how we live our lives, really. Um, and exactly. and uh, exactly. it might sound incredible, but it's real. It's very real. It's very real. And you talk about the women who, you know, that we, uh, the very um, adamant Republican women who are quite extreme. And I think that they also carry that. 
and to align with the patriarch is safety. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, and it could, and it, yeah, I, I, I think about that too because you know they've been, uh, you know, uh, dished a healthy dose from the pulpit, and um, you know they've learned that Eve was evil and deserved to suffer, you know, and uh, you know all of these things that are in their head that um, yeah. affects how they think and act uh, today, you know. Um, so, um, do you know? So yeah, I, I have to say this. Do you know in the Bible, it says, "Kill the witch." It says that in the Bible, "Kill the witch." Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, and let's you know, and let's kind of define witch. You know, I mean, uh, again, you know, the fear mongers have. Uh, tried to say, you know, witches were aligned with the devil and, you know, do all of these crazy things when really the witches were the healers, the ones who knew what herbs to take, uh, you know, to stop pain or heal. uh, And, um, you know, the the doctors, the men, um, they were competition for the men. And, um, you know, they wanted to do away with that competition. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much to know, really. I I mean, I I realized that when I left the South, you know, I was so ignorant of all of this stuff when I left the South. You just didn't learn about this. That's right. Not taught. Not taught in schools, that's for sure. And I think also, uh, if we look at the history of witches, witchcraft, um, they were really esteemed men and women in the community for many, many centuries until all of a sudden, and, of course, the church really did a lot to help that. Uh, they were demonized. Uh, the women were said to be having affairs or sex with, uh, with the devil. And um, they made them very, very, very evil. And they were not. In fact, most of the women that were tortured and burned at the stake or drowned were actually probably like you and I. I mean, they, maybe they thought a little differently or had other ideas. They weren't witches. They weren't practicing witchcraft. But. They were, um, because of the superstition, they, it was projected on them. And yeah, were, and it, it, it really became a cottage industry. You know, people, you yeah. know, they needed lawyers, they needed judges. Um, you know, people started using accusations of witchcraft if they wanted some old lady's land, you know. Um, it was really ugly, ugly, ugly time, yeah. you know. Very, very um, ugly. Based on superstition, and the church paid witch hunters too yeah i mean people really especially women need to know about the uh the the burning times and there's um there's a great trilogy out there i think um you know Mm -hmm. and and i think in some cases it's even free um and i think it's called the burning times do do you know marilyn is that one you're familiar with Actually, I used to have it. I think it came out about 20, maybe 30 years ago. You can find stuff on Netflix. Now, some of it are just sort of silly stories, but you can find some of the history on Netflix under the Burning Times and uh, can give you some education there. Or you can find it on YouTube, I think, as well. Yeah. So let's, uh, before we run out of time, let's jump over to feminism. Um, Do you believe to be a feminist is to be an activist? Or, um, yeah, I guess that's right. Do you believe to be a feminist is to be an activist? You know, there's a whole range of activism. Um, And you also, it's funny, I woke up one morning and said, gosh, 
what do introverts do in activism? Because <laughs> I'm an extrovert. And I realize that um, there's a, I, it depends entirely on the woman in terms of feminism. It's, it's a, an attitude she may have, maybe something she speaks to once in a while, or she could be actually taking action, making sure that women are running for office in her community or that, um, you know, women are getting better paid in her, in her community. There, there's all kinds of activism and, and, I, and all kinds of motivation for activism. There are people who are active because of grief. Their, their children have been shot with, with guns. And so there's a, such a variety of reasoning behind what, what's activism. What's sacred activism, I, as I said earlier, I feel is a, it becomes who you are so that you respond in the moment from the set of values that you hold. Okay. Well, and... Well, and, you know, when I, um, you know, became a, you know, kind of, I guess you'd say a self-proclaimed, I, you know, I took it on as a label that I was a feminist, uh, a goddess advocate, yes. you know, um, yes. I believed it was so that all of our boats float, you know, whether we're white, whether we're brown, black, whoever we are, immigrants, all the rest. It was so we all had a better quality of life. Um, and I wonder if you're aware and if and if you are what you think about um, some, you know, women are out there saying now, well, you know, uh, in some chapters of now, you know, National Organization for Women yeah. or, you know, just some feminist organizations, they were more about white women getting a piece of the patriarchal pie. You know, they, it wasn't really about everyone's boat floating. Um, do you think there's any legitimacy to that? Because I think some of these people call themselves womanist rather than feminist uh, because they've lost faith in the feminist label. Hmm. Oh, gosh, that's a very big question. I can't say that I know that much about those organizations. I would say that I stand with you. To me, it's about equality. It's about um yeah, we we all come from one source, and we are all the same. It's a unifying uh, principle that I that I tend to live by. Um, so I don't I don't make those distinctions of well, it's got to be white women. Um, I would say this because I spent probably ten years in what we used to call civil rights, and so I have a, a lot of exposure to the issues there and and work uh, to resolve those. Um, but I also have found recently in particular, and from, from many of my friends who are uh, people of color, that um, they have a language, the women, and women, white women have a language. And so it's very hard. I've tried so hard to get uh, the two together. And it's not, and, and what it's come back to is we have an understanding. We have a particular way of relating to one another. I think that's absolutely fascinating, and yet um, certainly there are exceptions, and there must be more exceptions. So we have to honor that, too, that they also have a culture that they um, like being a part of and are should be, uh, and they're proud of it. And it doesn't make it easy for white women to sort of step into that culture with them. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think what I've heard, too, is um, priorities might be different. Like for yeah. maybe a white yeah. woman, the priority may be abortion and equal pay, where for, uh, yeah. say, a black or brown woman, it might be guns or 
you know, or police brutality, um, you know, or, um, uh, you know, how black people are incarcerated, um, you know, disproportionately compared to white. So the value, you know, the, the priorities might be different. Yes, I think that's that's part of it too. But we do need to make greater efforts. I think that that we stand together, and and I, you know, I um, that's really important to me. Very important to me. Yeah, I think division, well, just want- it, division is one of the greatest issues that we have. We divide our people all the time, and and then then yeah. we, we wind up hating them, killing them while we're at it. So. Right. Well, and, you know, and and one of the things I learned and write about in my Normalizing Abuse book, and I, again, I didn't learn in school, um, you know, talk about the difference between black and white. Um, You know, after World War II, uh, after black men went and fought and died for the country and, you know, during the war, you know, they came back home and didn't have the same uh, VA benefits that white people had. Absolutely. You know, they couldn't they couldn't get mortgages that white people could get, and um, and I'm yep. sure and there are other things too, but um, but you know that's an abuse. You know, that's an abuse that we don't even maybe learn about or know about or consider or an abuse or an exploitation. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I'm definitely in the same. But do we have how much time do we have left? I have one thing I'd love to share. Well, I was about to say I was going to give. We were about to wrap up, and I was going to give you a last word. So why don't you go ahead and take it, Marilyn? <laughs> I'll try to make this as short as possible because I think this really kind of it's it's my definition of sacred activism. There was a story that I read recently, and it said it was uh, about a uh, professor who was a lawyer, and he was uh, teaching law to a class. And before he started, actually, the group was uh, gathered, he looked at one woman and said, what is your name? She said, Sandy. He said, Sandy, I'd like you to leave and do not come back. So she did. And everybody sort of sat there and was like, good God. And he goes on into, uh, in fact, he even says to her, please move faster, take your books and go. And then she she doesn't say anything. She just leaves and everybody's looking around. Now he starts saying, he's, the professor begins to talk about law and personal law and, you know, uh, personal rights and what have you. And after a, a, a few minutes of that conversation, he said, now, did you feel that I was unfair to Sandy? And of course, it all said, "Yeah, that, that was that was awful." Indeed, he said, "Why didn't any of you protest? Why didn't any of you try to stop me? Why didn't you want to prevent this injustice?" And nobody can answer. And he said, mm. "What you learned here uh, would have taken a thousand hours of lectures." if you hadn't lived it. I just thought hmm. that was an incredible And I think it's, it's really the basis of, for me, sacred activism. It's what you see wow. and how you handle it and how you handle your own anger and rage as well. So that's my, that's my uh, summary. Well, and I think it's it's also uh, you know, and, and I, there's probably a lot to unpack there. But it's I, I think it's also yeah. about how we just um, uh, obey authority, you know. 
exactly. um, we, we just exactly. sort of tamp down, you know, our own thoughts and values and, you know, we just go along. We go along to get along, you know. Yeah. Well, That's Marilyn, um, I appreciate all the incredible wisdom you've shared today, and I realize we could probably have talked for another hour. Uh, but I, I want to kind of give you the last word. Um, you know, is, is there anything you'd like to leave listeners with? And also, how can someone reach you if they want to know more about your work or your classes or what you're doing out there in the world? Great. Uh, my book is called A Woman's Guide to Sacred Activism, How Do We Move Forward? And it can be found at iUniverse Publishing, and it can be found on Amazon. And uh, it's a short book. doesn't take a lot, but it's, uh, it's pretty well filled with most everything we discussed here today. Uh, the other thing I, I would, uh, would add is um, I also want to say that uh, the um, – Divine application, divine feminine application is truly a gift, and she's really beginning to take off. So I do hope that people follow up on that. And in terms of reaching me, uh, you can find me a couple places, Marilyn Nyborg, N-Y-B-O-R-G. I'm on Facebook, happily on Facebook. And I also have another Facebook page called the Sacred Sacred. Um, uh, feminism, Sacred Feminine Network, Sacred Feminine Network. I'll get it right. And um, so you can find me there, and I would love to have see your input there to, in terms of the burning times and how that has uh, touched you in your life personally. I, I hope that you uh, were able to make those, those connections for yourself. And I'm very grateful to have had this time with you, and thank you very, very much. Well, thank you, Marilyn. I've really enjoyed uh, the conversation, and, um, you know, maybe we should do this again and do a part two. <laughs> love, it. love it. Anytime. Okay, my okay. dear. Meanwhile, stay in touch. Okay. okay. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. 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 Okay. Well, I hope uh, hope you enjoyed that. And um, uh, to kind of wrap up today's show, um, I want to share with you this little excerpt from uh, my book, Normalizing Abuse. And uh, it ties into a lot of what we talked today because it's our ideas, um, you know, that uh, shape us, that, uh, you know, things that uh, we act on. And anyway, this is just a little piece that I wrote called, um, you know, Crazy Ideas That Stuck. And, um, you know, crazy ideas that stick, you know, there's a, there's a term for that. Sometimes it's called groupthink. Sometimes it's called manufactured consent. Uh, but basically they're ideas that stick, and we run with them, and they become part of our belief system. So anyway, here we go. So we have lots of crazy ideas sticking around today, and we no doubt wonder how they ever got traction, and we can't wait for them to go to that place where all bad ideas eventually go to die. I thought it might be interesting to name some from the past that had an immense effect on society, culture, and history before people got wise and relegated these ideas to the trash heap of history. 
So the first one, and I'm going to share three. Um, there's this guy by the name of Edward Bernays. He was an advertising executive, or some might say a propaganda master, who used his understanding of how people tick that he learned from his uncle, Sigmund Freud, to really create some havoc. Not only did he use psychological techniques to convince Americans getting into World War I was a good idea, he also colluded with the CIA and corporate interests to help overthrow a democratically elected government in Guatemala. Yeah, using persuasion, using propaganda, this advertising executive helped those big things to happen. But now he's not done. For the benefit of cigarette manufacturers, he did this whole advertising campaign, and he convinced women using his persuasion, his advertising techniques, that smoking was good, even when he knew it was medically unsafe and prohibited his own wife from smoking. So I wonder what would be on this guy's tombstone. Would it be help start a world war, overthrow a government, and give women cancer? What a legacy. Then there was a paragon of virtue uh, and thought leader of his day, Dr. John Kellogg of the Kellogg cereal fame, yep, cornflakes, he uh, ran the Battle Creek Sanitarium, which was a world-renowned health resort frequented by rich and famous like Mary Todd Lincoln, Amelia Earhart, uh, Warren G. Harding, Henry Ford, Sojourner Truth. I'm not sure how she got in there, but uh, Sojourner Truth also apparently was said to have uh, frequented this um, you know, sanitarium. These people would go there to take the cure as they called it, and starting in 1866 on health principles advocated by Seventh-day Adventist Church, um, uh, you know, from, uh, what was the date? Uh, 1866 to 1943, okay, that's like 80 years. Uh, these, these, I, these things were started and continued. Uh, Kellogg practiced not just eugenics, but female genital mutilation, and punitive circumcision. Yes, he poured carbolic acid on the clitoris of women because pleasure was really a bad thing. He also thought constipation caused nymphomania. So think about that the next time you're eating your cornflakes. Think about these ideas that got traction and people actually subjected themselves to because of the ideas of the time. Then there's the third one. Religious dogma, also known as groupthink, drove people like Presbyterian minister Sylvester Graham to teach what was known as Grahamism, railing against any sexual pleasures like soft beds, hot baths, or anything that might lead to sexual pleasure. Masturbation was considered dangerous, and eating unsifted, coarsely ground wheat was an antidote to sexual pleasure, according to Graham. You see, they believed if you um, had impacted stools, you know, or constipation, that uh, those impacted stools might rub up against your sexy bits and give you an orgasm. Yeah, crazy stuff, right? And, um, you know, because they denied any sort of pleasure for themselves, 
uh, I couldn't help but think that, um, you know, because these guys created the graham cracker, um, you know, they probably didn't allow chocolate or marshmallows, so there were no s'mores <laughs> in their reality. So anyway, I just thought I would put forward some uh, crazy ideas other no, otherwise known as groupthink or manufactured cons consent that stick around today or have stick around, you know, stuck around in the past couple decades, uh, which are a detriment or an exploitation or abuse in society or maybe just an idea, you know, what we really didn't need. So some of these include ideas like you can't tax the job creators, you can pray away the gay, it's okay to pay women less than men because men are the breadwinners of the family. People of color are dumb and lazy. Yoga and meditation invites the devil into your mind. Ivermectin cures COVID-19. Only men are created in God's image. Women shouldn't have the right to decide what to do with their own body. Homosexuality is an abomination. Liberals hate God and groom kids to blank, insert something awful there. Voting by mail results in voter fraud. Trickle-down economics works for everyone. Immigrants are rapists and thieves. Carbon dating is a hoax. And women's bodies determine their role in society. But there is one I have to agree with. <laughs> Something that stuck around way too long and we could have done away with it, you know, much, much earlier. Farrah Fawcett hair and mullets. <laughs> so anyway, I thought I would share that. And uh, next time I am on the air with you, I'm going to talk about knowledge and power. Who are your gatekeepers? Who is deciding what you learn and don't learn? Yeah, I think that's important. All right, and I'm going to go ahead and close with um, one of my favorite quotes. And this one is by novelist Monique Wittig. And... Um, she sort of captured the novelty and flavor of, uh, you know, this affirmation of female power. And this is what she wrote. There was a time when you were not a slave. Remember that. You walked alone, full of laughter. You bathed bare-bellied. You say you have lost all recollection of it. Remember. You say there are not words to describe it. You say, this doesn't exist anymore, but remember it. Make an effort to remember or failing to remember, reinvent it. I think that ties in really good with what Marilyn was talking about, how women live with this, you know, this fear, even ancestral trauma. We've forgotten the times when women didn't have to be afraid. Well, thank you, listeners. Uh, I hope you will tell your friends about the show. I hope uh, you will go to my website, karentake.net. Um, 
when you go there, if uh, you'd like to support me and my work and make sure this uh, keeps happening, you know, these teachings um, continue, uh, please buy one of my books or a few of my books or there's a little widget at the bottom of my webpage where you can buy me a cup of coffee. Yeah. Um, so buy Karen Tate a cup of coffee. All right, that about does it for me. I hope you enjoyed the show. And uh, I like to always close with a homage to um, Sekhmet, the lion-headed Egyptian goddess, with this uh, cut by Abigail Spinner McBride called Am Sekhmet. And uh, Sekhmet is a really important goddess uh, for, for women today. Uh, she is a goddess of courage, tenacity, strength, and uh, I believe as such helps women set healthy boundaries so they're not misused, abused, or exploited. So Am Sekhmet. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.